This is a Rooster Teeth production. In today's episode, we learn how a doctor's sloppy prescription penmanship contributes to thousands of deaths annually. Plus, we cover the strange and unusual tradition of putting animals on trial for human crimes. Welcome to 30 Morbid Minutes. This is the podcast where we cover topics of a morbid, macabre, dark, and downright grisly nature. We talk about scary stuff, creepy things, but we also just talk about human nature, history, social mores, cover all that good stuff. (laughs) Yeah, morbid and strange things we're curious about. Things that go bump in the night. I'm Elise Willems. I'm Jessica Osami. And today we're doing things a little bit different. We're doing things... In a special way. I'd call it special. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. we're giving you twice the morbid, double the morbid. (laughs) Jess and I are trying to out-morbid one another, and whoever wins, we all lose, really. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to go first, or should I go first? Maybe I'll go first this time. Okay. Yeah, this one is painfully morbid. Um, Thankfully, though, so I'll just say this to, to start it off so we're not like cringing the entire time is they things are significantly better now in today's times this has happened in like maybe the early mid 2000s um and it is definitely was still a thing for a little bit even after that but it is dramatically better now so just know that but i have a question for you first elise hit me <laughs> okay no <it's> okay. um <laughs> when you've gone to the doctor and you have to get a prescription for you know, whatever it may be, do you still get your prescriptions um, like written down by the doctor or are they like via computer? Oh no, I know where this is going. I absolutely know where this is going. Okay. You do? You already know? I do. I can get, if you want, I can guess or. Okay, guess. Well, so some of my prescriptions, my current doctor just emails directly to a pharmacy. They have a great new digital system. However, if I go to maybe a walk-in clinic, yes, they are going to give me a written prescription and it's going to be scrawled in the most unintelligible handwriting I have ever seen. And I don't know how pharmacies don't get prescriptions mixed up and confused and give people the wrong medications and cause them problems or even death. Is that... Is that where yeah. we're headed? Oh no. That is where we're headed. So wait, do you do you know of this or is I this know what of you this. just I okay. know of this, yeah. Yes. Okay. I knew you would Ugh. I knew you would know one of my facts no. or this fact. But yes, uh I did not know this. And I'm actually going and I always feel like the word appalled is like such a dramatic term. I'm like, oh, I'm appalled that this happened. Shocked. But, yeah. When yeah. I found out that um the doctor's like sloppy handwriting skills kills at this time, uh, kills more than 7,000 people annually. And it's a, yeah, it's a shocking statistic. And actually according to a July, 2006 report from the national academics of science Institute of medicine, preventable medication mistakes also injure more than 1.5 million Americans annually. So, so basically you know, it, many such errors result from like unclear abbreviations and dosage indications and the legible writing on some 
of the like 3.2 billion prescriptions written in the US every year. So just to kind of like sum that up, doctors are back then were writing prescriptions on their like little notepaddies and they'd be like, oh, okay, so you have this wrong with you. I'm going to give you this dosage of this medication. They'd bring it to your local pharmacy and get prescribed whatever was written on that or whatever the pharmacy could could understand of that and give it to the person. And it was either the wrong drug that messed with another drug that they were already previously taking, the wrong dosage, or some or a drug that just doesn't work with your body and people were dying. Like, doesn't that sound so absurd? It sounds so absurd and so unprofessional and unnecessary. And I've always been flabbergasted by doctor's handwriting. And I've never understood how something that is seemingly so serious is taken in such a casual way to just scribble it down. I've never understood that. Even as a kid, I was like, why wouldn't you just write this legibly? I'm a child and people can read my writing clearer than yours. And you're a PhD doctor. Yeah. And a, and a, like no hate on the doctors, but come on. No, absolutely. And a lot of times, like if I'm thinking back to some of my like doctor experiences, they will kind of like verbally tell me, hey, I'm going to prescribe you this name. And it's a name that a lot of times I don't think we know we understand or pr- couldn't pronounce it. It's like a scientific term. It's yeah. like, a, you know, and um, and I'm like, oh, OK, that and then of this milligrams. And so when they write it on the paper and honestly i don't i'm not going to retain that information of like no. it's this lexiconic pranapro whatever that is and so when they give me that i'm like i just trust the doctor and i trust the pharmacy so when i get it back i'm like oh yeah this is this sounds right absolutely so don't, so don't think about that and um it's it's so weird that this wasn't it, it took what i'm kind of surprised about is that it kind of took a bit of time in order for this to actually change, which is very interesting. Um, I don't know if like, which made me, this is something I wanted to do more research on. It's just like, did the doctors like fully know that this was in relation to their handwriting and not great prescriptions and their handwriting skills? Or did they think like, oh, you know, the person died because of natural whatever happened because they came in for this? but thankfully to like address the problem and give like the push for electronic medical records a shove, a coalition of healthcare companies and tech and technology firms launched a program. It's called the like e-prescribing, like patient, it's a patient safety initiative that will offer doctors access to ERX and like web-based tools and all of that. So, which I think a lot of, at least I know that my current doctor does the same thing as yours, where they'll put the prescription in a computer, it'll immediately go over there to mm-hmm. the pharmacy and all of that. But it's just like back then during this time, you know, the kind of like early 2000s, mid 2000s, like they had the technology and they're like, why aren't we doing this? And one of the reasons is that doctors just hadn't invested in the needed technology. So it was basically mm-hmm. being provided to them. And there was a $100 million project that was drawn up from support of a variety of partners, like including Dell, Google, um, Aetna, how did, Aetna, it's the A-E-T-N-A. Anyway, Aetna, I'm good. I think that's what I was pronounced. And numerous hospitals, and quote, our goal long-term is to get the prescription pads out of doctors' hands to get them working on computers. Um, and like Google uh, designed like a custom search engine 
with um, the uh, the patient safety initiative to assist doctors looking for like health data. Insurance companies such as Aetna like pledged to also provide incentives for physicians to use these e-prescription systems. Thank God. And I'm surprised it's taken this long for somebody to say there's something not right about this system. <laughs> and the uh-huh. fact that 7,000 people a year are dying. Was it 7,000 a year or 7,000 total have and died? Annually. Annually. My yes. God. Yeah. And, you know, I used to theorize about why doctors had such bad handwriting across the board. Part of me would speculate, oh, is it because they're writing? So their writing is unintelligible. So a stranger couldn't find this and know what your prescription is or there's something like I used to think there has to be a reason for why all these doctors are writing so poorly. This Yeah. Yeah. There were some other articles I came across um, that a lot of the doctors are like, well, well, we are writing all day long. They constantly are writing. And so they're like, you know, after a while, our hand just, I'm like, but that, you know, that's, that's not a good excuse. I don't know. It's a good system. Yeah. To and save I'm sure. Lives. <laughs> absolutely. And I'm sure there needed to be like a lot more research done to kind of track back as to why these, 7,000 people annually were dying. And it's like, did you, like how they tracked it back all the way to, oh, it was actually the wrong prescription that was given to them, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, that that was like, when I read that, I was like, this is painfully morbid. Um, but thankfully, like, I don't think I've gotten a, actually, now that you say it, now that I'm thinking my current health, like my my actual general care practitioner does do it on the um, computer. But I'm like, man, the last time I went to urgent care, I think they just like gave me a slip. Yeah. And also you were talking about technical and medical jargon. And Mm -hmm. for me personally, when I'm sick or I'm not feeling well, I'm not in the right mind space to try to interpret any of that. So I really need a doctor that's going to be one, very straightforward and clear with me, speak in layman's terms And two is going to provide all of that information to me in a written document that I can reference later when I'm in a better headspace and do that. And so to the idea of you audibly just tell me what I'm going to take or how much I'm going to take and how often, and then you expect me to remember that, I can't do that in that I'm already in a a stressor situation and I I just can't do that. So I'm glad that all of these these kind of regulations and measures Mm -hmm. are going into place. Yeah. And also thinking of like, when you do get that slip of paper, the pharmacist has to like also input it into their system. There's a lot of just like a second pair of people or third pair of people have to. Oh, it's like a game of telephone at that point. Yeah. So like in these electronic systems, like drugs and dosages are selected from menus to prevent input errors. So and the pharmacists don't need to re-enter the information. Which is like another, I'm glad that like they thought about all the little things, you know what I mean? In these new systems. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it was, it was, I, that is, God, I was like, are you kidding me? This is how people are dying. Oh my gosh. That's a great fact. And it's one that I think probably doesn't occur to a lot of people and it's distinctly morbid in a way that you would not think of it as being a very morbid thing, but it is. Yes, exactly. And it's a preventable thing. It's an avoidable thing. Yeah. And this is here. I'll just give you like a quick like stat list. Um, 
SureScript CEO Kevin uh, Hutchinson says that one key to reducing medication errors is to get the most prolific prescribers to transition to electronic processing. So he said, not a lot of people understand that 15% of physicians in the U.S. write 50% of the prescription volume and 30% of them write 80%. So it's not about getting 100% of uh, physicians to e-prescribe. It's about getting those 30% who prescribe the most, then you've automated the process. Um, it's just like, it's just, yeah, bonkers. Ugh. Well, I think that you have shed some light on this today, Jess. Which is very, I know. Very needed. Yes. And, and also like, you know, we're, we've been using the term like warning tale. I think it's, it's just also very Good to just to like double check with your doctors, you know, oh, always yeah. like, okay, so what are you giving me? What is it called? And what is the dosage? Just so like, you know, because I'm not saying that we should not trust our doctors, but what I'm saying is that we are all humans and there is human error. And then there's also just, you know, malpractice suits are a thing. Exactly. That as well. So just always just ask questions and it's okay to ask those questions of your doctor. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. So with all of that said, let's hear a word from our sponsors. We at 30 Morbid Minutes are so excited to tell you about a podcast from our friends that we think that you, our listeners, will love. I love it. It's called Ship Hits the Fan, and each episode covers high sea horrors and maritime nightmares. Mm Mm-hmm. Ship Hits the Fan is a weekly Wednesday podcast that plunders the depths of history to find the weirdest, scariest, and just plain stupid maritime disasters. Uh Uh-oh, whoopsies. Hosted by Charlotte McGrath, Patrick Brown, and Brian Garr. This podcast is freaking fantastic. Mm -hmm. Listen on your podcast platform of your choice or a day early for first members on roosterteeth.com. Okay. So my topic... I think is maybe something that you would have heard before, potentially, but I'm going to get into a little bit deeper, give some examples of it. But first, as a bit of a primer, I want to ask you, Jessica, you have a beloved turtle, correct? (laughs) I do. Her name is Nina and she's a diva. Uh Uh-huh. We've we've all seen Nina in the little Mm -hmm. videos. She doesn't want to eat her lettuce or her celery. Yeah. Or she's acting a diva. Yeah. What if I told you, Jess? that Nina, the turtle, could be held on trial in a, in a court. In a courtroom, Nina could be condemned. She could be found guilty of murder and sentenced to be executed. I would say put her on that trial because she deserves it. <laughs> oh, I, I was expecting a different <laughs> answer for that. No, no. I, well, I want to know what the hell? What do you mean? Put no. my turtle on trial. <laughs> There are many, many, many examples throughout history of animals being arraigned and tried in court for crimes. Do you know about this? No. Oh. Is this real? This is very, this is all too real. So, especially throughout the Middle Ages in Europe, animals were tried for human crimes. So any charges ranging from murder to obscenity to destroying crop yields, that was a big one. Um, pigs, dogs, cows, rats, flies, caterpillars, all of them were arraigned in court with the full pomp and ceremony of the proceedings. So not just like a, we're doing this casually behind closed doors. No, it was like a full trial with judges, with witnesses, with juries. Evidence would be shown and heard on both sides from the plaintiff, 
the defense. Okay, you know? but the animal can't speak for themselves to defend themselves. <sighs> that is correct. That is correct. The animal could not. They well, the the animal would be granted legal aid, a lawyer okay. that would conduct their defense. And this happened over a hundred times, as <gasps> chronicled and documented in. There's a there's a very popular and well known book that talks about the prosecution of animals. It's called it's by E. P. Evans. And it's called The Criminal Prosecution and Capital Punishment of Animals. And it was published in 1906. And it details 196 cases across 14 countries. I can't believe this is real. Like when you're talking about that the lawyer, you know, that they would have a lawyer. I'm like, what are they, they going to say? It's an animal and it doesn't know? Yes. <laughs> is that is the same defense every time? <laughs> well, what? and what if I told you that this this document published in 1906 is out of date because there have been court cases that have happened since then. 1906. Yeah, that was a while yeah, ago. A while as well. ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. here's the thing is it's, it sounds very funny, but I am an animal lover. So it's also really horrible that these animals were killed for. OK, I don't like that. Crimes and stuff. Yeah. So it was all just this spectacle. And it sounds ridiculous right? It does. It sounds like something that maybe people would have done for fun because they were bored. Like, yeah, we'll have an animal trial today. We'll dress up the pig, parade him around. But that <laughs> they wouldn't have actually followed through and been like, yeah, take him out to the gallows. <laughs> like, Mr. Oinks a lot has to pay. Yeah. You know? Like, is this is this somewhat similar to like, so, you know, if like a dog these days like bites. His mayor? So, oh, yeah. wait. <laughs> We went two no. different ways. No, no, no. I mean, like if a dog, you know, will like bite somebody and bring brings them to the hospital or something, they end up like putting the dog down. You yeah, know, it is it is definitely there were instances where a animal was aggressive and this was the response to that. I also have other examples that are very much not that, though. So, for example, there were lots of trials happening between the 13th century and the Enlightenment. And a lot of scholars attribute it to this time period being one of crisis and these trials being demonstrative measures that were used to give the impression of control in society and to show that the authorities were maintaining law and order and that, you know, everything's everything's A-OK. We've got everything under control. It was more for optics. Yeah. And there's this one case about this man named Jacques Ferrand who was caught fornicating with a female donkey in 1750 France. So having sex with the donkey. But in this situation, both Jacques and the donkey were put on trial. Okay, I've heard of this one. Have you? <laughs> I Yes. Okay. So like, you know, Jacques put on trial for bestiality, but the donkey, the donkey's put on trial for, for like violating, I don't know, just violating virtue or whatever. I, I, uh, I just still... They're animals. Yeah. And but the, sure. There yeah. were witnesses called. The parish priests and other villagers were called as character witnesses to attest to the virtue of the donkey. And so they went on the stand and they were like, I've known this donkey for four years and she has always shown herself to be virtuous and well-behaved and never given scandal. Um, there's a quote from one of these witnesses is saying she is in word and deed and all of her habits of life, a most honest creature. Although I did see her shit in her own bowl of food, but uh-huh. other than that, she's okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, what? That donkey did do a secret spread in play donkey. Yep. Full frontal. Oh so the donkey gosh. was acquitted. Thank God. 
But uh, Jacques Ferrand was convicted and sentenced to death by burning. (sighs) Which, you know, I'm not crazy about this man violating this donkey. Well, no. But uh, another case in 16th century France, a lawyer named Bartholomew uh, Chassinet developed a reputation (laughs) as defending animal rights. And he represented a colony of rats. These rats, they were called to trial. They were held accountable because they had destroyed a barley field. And this was kind of a common thing of like, our crop was destroyed by a bunch of pests. We're going to press charges against these rodents or these vermin. I think it was called like vermin trials or something. I can't believe this is, can't believe we're talking about this. (laughs) It's just so bonkers. No, it's so bizarre. And so they called these rats to court. They were like, these rats need to be tried. They called them to court to be arraigned. But they didn't show up because they're rats. <laughs> of course they're not going to show up. And But then Chassinet, when confronted about why his clients, quote unquote, didn't show up to court, he said that to do so would put them in danger from local cats and dogs. Oh. And such risk of death would allow humans to skip court. So why not animals? So they postponed the trial indefinitely. But it's like, oh interesting. My of, course, of course the rats didn't show up to court. No. How would they oh, know? Oh. Uh, obvious yeah so question like when these people are are pressing charges against animals are they other other like ulterior motives when it comes to this stuff like will they get any form of payment from anybody if they win um well there was a case actually so in 2008 so very recently a court in macedonia observed the trial of a bear that attacked a beekeeper's hive and stole the honey inside (laughs) but since it's a wild animal and it It's not going to turn up to court again, the rat situation. Bears don't know that they're summoned to court. It still happened and the bear was found guilty. And then the state had to pay the beekeeper for damages. So that was one instance where, yes, there was some financial restitution Uh to what happened. However, it can be more of a panic situation. Like I think Mm -hmm. there were during the Salem witch trials, there were animals that were held on trial. Um, Or when there's, you know, I mentioned it earlier, but when there's just like this this feeling of this loss of control in society and the state or the authorities are just trying to preserve control. The idea of we'll do this because optically it's going to tell people, Hey, this could be you, you know? Yeah. That. And then also when something happens to you, I think it's, maybe it's in our just nature to like blame somebody and put fault on someone else. And Hey, Uh they need to, yeah, take responsibility. Who's going to do something about this? I can't, yeah, they're an animal, but my stuff still got ruined. Yeah. I don't actually know where the term scapegoating comes from, but I wonder (gasps) if it's because somebody pinned a goat for their crimes. I'm going to Google this. Yeah, please Google it. But while, and while you're Googling that, I'll tell you about, there was another recent case where in 2004, Katya the bear was imprisoned in uh, Kazakhstan Yeah, after being found guilty of mauling two people. So, you know, an act of aggression and violence. And Katya served a 15-year sentence before she was released back into the bear population. Oh, my god! And it's like, yeah, a bear... That's so sad. Is, and- is, yeah, it's sad on many levels. But yeah, a bear is going to maul people if it encounters people. Yeah. That because it's just in their nature. That's mm-hmm. it's a wild. <laughs> Hence the word animal. nature. Yeah. Did you come up with the scapegoating history, Jess? Well, this is what I'm seeing was that scapegoating originates in the Bible in the Old Testament book of Leviticus, which tells of how two goats would be ritually chosen. 
the one being killed as a sacrifice and the other being released into into okay. the wilderness. So not not what we're thinking here. Not what we're thinking, but I'm sure I think over time I would assume that scapegoat there might be lots of different, you mm-hmm. know, places it comes from. There are some even more outlandish cases like in 1386 France when a pig was put on trial for maiming and eating a child <gasps> and they brought a lot of ceremony and pomp to this particular trial because the pig was taken and dressed in men's clothing when it was tried in court. So like given a suit jacket and pant, like the tr- the pig was all dressed up to <sighs> give the illusion of like, no, this is a civilized pig. He knew what he was doing. Wow. And then That's they, smart. yeah, they found the pig guilty and then the pig was executed by hanging. So. Wow. Yeah. And obviously these, this was during times of like hysteria and centuries ago but can i just say i think it's funny that the pig died by hanging and not just like oh here's dinner i don't yeah. know <laughs> yeah i know that, wow. that that's the thing. it was part of all of it. it was like we have to have this gravity yeah to, to this we've got to do all these motions that being said we still in the u.s do pardon a turkey every year at thanksgiving by the president touche so yep. which yep. that turkey's always getting pardoned so, yep. but that also presumes the turkey's guilt. <laughs> yeah, when it's just it like <laughs> it, I just would never the, the these types of things just would never occur into my brain that so I think where my mind would naturally go is um like the 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 bear and the honey example is like it, obviously it's not the bear's fault. It's a wild animal and it's looking for food. I think my brain would immediately go to just like, well, why isn't, yeah, the state building any sort of like gate in this area of town to where this bear could just, yeah. like, I'm not going to blame the or, bear ever. Yeah. Or if the bear has come down to town and has killed someone, well, it's because we're destroying their habitat. Absolutely. And they're yeah. being forced like, out. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Think about maybe the steps that you've taken to, why would, why would a pig be able to get at a child to eat them? Yeah. You know, we share this earth with lots of different animals and insects and, and trees. And we, we need to all be good to each other. Mm-hmm. Let's it, yeah. have some respect. It, you is, know? it is now very and widely understood that animals obviously lack the mental wherewithal and moral agency to even understand why they would be on trial for something and shouldn't be held accountable in this kind of way. Yep. And if we do have animal trials, they should just be joke trials from now on. The animals should be fine, yep. unharmed. Okay, because yes. I am all for y- yes. Of course, I think it's hilarious to dress up a pig in men's clothes. Yes, me okay. Too. But do I think we drag him out to the street after and hang him? No, absolutely no. not. I think it's funny. Yeah, that the rats did not show up to their court appointment. That's hilarious. To me. <laughs> do uh, we you make, didn't show up? Do we make a dog a small town mayor? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. We do. Of course, we do. This is now. This is a form of entertainment to me. Like this is. <laughs> Fantastic. I would love to see a cute little puppy on the stand. Just like, what did you do? Did you did you bite John's shoe over there? Did you tear up his yeah. shoes? And the puppy's just like, <laughs> Yeah. Aww. Well, he don't know. He just gives us the eyes and we acquitted, acquitted. Yes, absolutely. Immediately. Maybe we should make a shirt that says dog for mayor in, uh, the, in the 30 Morbid uh, Minutes store. That's a I would I would absolutely wear that. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
Yep. It's just also the bear story with the honey. That's just so, it just reminds me of like Winnie the Pooh. It's so cute, <laughs> oh, <no>. you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but speaking of shirts, we do have some pretty awesome and fun and morbidly cute shirts in our store. We do. Yep. It's uh, store.roosterteeth.com. Um, I think the quick way to find it is just to click on Fun House and boom, you're right there. Mm-hmm. You'll find it. We have two shirts in there, the Curiosity Cabinet, and then the other one, my personal favorite of me and Elise, oh. uh, Friends friends Till Death. Um, till the end, to the very till friends, end. Yes, Friends Till the Very End uh, of Us as Skeletons. And please- I, I love it. Me too. And please send us your little like yes. fashion style photos because I think these shirts are really cute and- you can do really cute goth fashion with them, like put a mm-hmm. long sleeve tee under them, maybe a striped like kind of like Beetlejuice-esque yep. tee, do a skirt, do a like wide leg jean. Like I want to see how people are styling these shirts with their everyday looks. I know. they can, And they can be dressed up or down. Um, so if you if if you prefer to also just wear it to bed, hey, that's cool too. Send mm-hmm. us a little send us a little cozy pick, you oh, know, yeah. like wrapped in a blanket. Reading the sleep a paralysis scary... demon will yeah. visit you. <laughs> oh no. Yeah, it's like if you wear one of our shirts and you go to sleep, <laughs> a sleep paralysis demon will visit you. Yeah. Have fun. <laughs> <laughs> that's a guarantee. Guaranteed by at least Jessica. Yes. And please keep tweeting at us, Instagramming us at 30 Morbid Minutes, at Jessica Vasami, at Elise Willems. Yeah. We love uh, looking at your comments and um, we love looking at any of the topics you send our way as well. So. Mm-hmm. Really appreciate all the love and support. And also leave a review. Um, wherever you listen to your podcast, um, please leave a review. We'd love, we'd, we'd really appreciate it. Yes, please. Well, Jess, I have to say, I actually kind of regret this episode because now I'm scared for Nina the turtle. I'm scared for what might happen to her. If anything happens to her, it's, it's going to be because I do it. <laughs> I'm going to put her on trial and be like, you, you know what? She actually hasn't. She's never bit me. She's never done anything. Anytime where I think she might bite me or I know she's angry, which is 95% of the time, she just kind of like sucks her head back into her shell as in like, no, leave me alone. She has never bitten. And I, I love that. Wait, are so. you telling me that you're the problem here? <laughs> yeah, I'm the maybe it's me oh no <laughs> oh but i give her i give her so many treats i give her strawberries the other day there's some weed flowers in the backyard that have grown i gave her some flowers to eat she ate all of them so like i i spoil her for sure okay well i'm just saying if she gives me any attitude she's straight to the stand <gasps> no <laughs> Nina, no 